In a, while in a room with a woman, right? Um, or ever in your life, have you ever had your hand down the front of your pants while in the room with a woman? Ooh, uh, close. I've had my hand down a woman's pants. Ah, uh, but it turns really? out, yeah, it turns out you really? have to ask. So I didn't know. Mea culpa. Mea culpa. <laughs> did you? Did you grab her by the pussy? Is that what you were doing? <laughs> That's what I was going for. I said, did I want to be president. Were you wearing a MAGA hat at the time? <laughs> Yeah, but I was wearing it backwards so she couldn't tell. I was trying to look hip, you know, like George Costanza when he turned the hat turns the hat around with the mountain climber. I was trying to be cool. Hmm. Well, let's get into. Uh, I mean, we can't say anything negative about Rudy Giuliani because, as you know, he is a close personal, personal friend. friend of mine. Yes, uh, <laughs> big Rudy. So let's let's not go no. Let's there. not go down his pants. Uh, right. <laughs> Rudy, Rudy doesn't need our help in making himself look like an idiot, unfortunately. And I do yep. hasten to add that at the time when I had a cigar and a chat with Rudy, it was well before his days of being associated with Donald Trump. Right. So he was still relatively sane and admired back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These days, obviously, he's become the clown prince of the White House. That's saying something. Back then. Yeah. He was the guy that uh, held America together during 9/11. Oh yes, uh, I remember. And, and you know, we 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 and wrote a good book called Leadership, which I liked. And you know, he was an admirable figure. Anyway, anyway. now he's now he's a bit of an idiot. Right. Oh, complete idiot. Not even a bit. Complete <clears throat> idiot. But let's talk about the other news story that is involved in this week. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, the Borat story came out just as this started to become a thing. And this, of course, is the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now, yes, I have been involved in several debates about this on Facebook, which may surprise you <laughs> to know that I uh, waded into this one. Uh, <laughs> Shock, gasp. And uh, look, I think uh, the real story here isn't necessarily the emails uh, purported from Hunter Biden's uh laptop the 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 main part of the story that i'm interested in yes. anyway yeah. is facebook and twitter's decision early on to ban linking to the story right um i i think that's interesting um i'm not the only person who is concerned about that uh people like matt taibbi and glenn greenwald also have, have written out against that decision yeah over the last uh, week or so now my thinking on it was yeah look this story may be bullshit um mm -hmm. but a 
It was published not by a Johnny-come-lately crank conspiracy theory site, as a lot of the stories which deserve to be uh, censored, right. let's just say it, by Facebook or Twitter, uh, are published by, you know, they're, they're sites that were set up yesterday, they're obviously running out blatant, you know, just fake uh, stories, mm-hmm. misinformation, disinformation, Facebook and Twitter censoring those. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. But this was published by the New York Post. Now, the New York Post, um, been around for a century, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it's been owned by Rupert Murdoch, as people may or may not know. It was actually the first media entity that Rupert Murdoch bought in the United States mm. after he went there in 1975. Right. Um, and if you want to read a great story um, about this period of Murdoch's life, I think it's Michael Wolf's book. Yes, Michael Wolf's book, The Man Who Owns the News Inside the Secret World of Rupert Murdoch, came out in 2008. Right. I remember reading it around a campfire in, I think it was Yosemite National Park mm. many years ago. Um but it's it's largely about how Rupert, after you know he got started in Australia. Uh, for those of you who are Americans and probably don't know his story, his father, Sir Keith Murdoch, was uh, sort of a m- bit of a media um, legend mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm, I'm making this up from memory now, but I think he was a journalist. During World War One, wow, and uh, uh, brought back some of the earliest stories about. Oh, fuck! I should have looked this up. I should look this up before I, I'm going to fuck this up. Hold on, mm-hmm. hold on. I'm holding. Yeah, yeah. You hold on <laughs> to that. Yeah, First World War. That's right. Right. Um. He, uh, you know, covered some of the first news about the disaster of uh, Gallipoli, the Gallipoli landing, that kind of stuff. Um, I just looked it up on Wikipedia to make sure I wasn't making shit up. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, Reaching France on his route to London, Murdoch was arrested by military police in Marseille and his letter that he was sending back to Australia was confiscated. Arriving in London on the 21st of September, he spent some time at the Australian High Commission composing his own letter to the Prime Minister, Andrew Fisher, in a similar vein to this other letter um, that was particularly critical of British general and administrative staff. Mm -hmm. The conceit and self-complacency of the red feather men are equaled only by their incapacity. Along the line of communications, especially at Moudreau, are countless high officers and conceited young cubs who are plainly only playing at war. Appointments to the general staff are made from motives of friendship and social influence. Um, So he created a huge stir by criticising the British uh, World War I. Right. Uh, He went on to become a fairly high-profile editor of a newspaper called the Melbourne Herald, which uh, I think he tried to take it over at one stage uh, and was rebutted. So he ended up going and buying a little adver- a little newspaper in Adelaide called the Adelaide Advertiser mm-hmm. and becoming the owner of that. And then when he died in 1952, Rupert inherited the Adelaide Advertiser. 
And, uh, you know, started from there. Rupert was only wow. 21 at the time. He inherited a, new, a tiny little nothing fucking newspaper in a tiny little nothing city. Sorry, people from South <laughs> Australia, but, you know, it's true. Adelaide, particularly <laughs> 1952, it was nothing. It was population was probably 15 people and a pig. Rupert inherited that and... Uh, right. You know, then turned that into the fucking Murdoch media empire. Wow. Um, spanning the globe, yeah. uh, making and breaking prime ministers and presidents for decades. And so in the mid-70s, after moving from Australia to London and then moving from London <coughs> to New York, the way that Michael Wolff tells it in his book, um, you know, he was sort of ridiculed. You know, who is this fucking Australian right. uh, idiot? Uh, oh. comes comes to thinks he's coming to America. He's going to play our game. They they just saw him as fresh meat. They were just going to use and abuse him, bend him over the desk, <laughs> rape him up the ass with no right. Vaseline, take all of his money, and spit him out. Right. Uh, well, the first thing he did was buy the New York Post, and he used it to get Coke elected as uh, the mayor. Ed Koch, um, which Ed Koch was a sort of, a, a, I think, a bit of a joke and a nobody. He just, Murdoch just started running endless free campaigns for Koch, got him elected, used, you know, his influence then with Koch to get a lot of other things done. And then, of course, bought Fox when everyone said, uh, well, he, he built Fox uh, by buying a bunch of TV stations, created mm -hmm. Fox when everyone said cable news, were, cable TV was dead. Right. Um, there was no room for a fourth cable network. Um, was it a fourth? I don't know. Whatever it was. Right. He, uh, he, he, set up, he set up Fox and turned it into the demon network that it is today. So anyway, yes, and it's, it's a tabloid um, and it's a Murdoch paper. And so, you know, people are right to be skeptical. Apparently, even the journalist um, who right. wrote... The story didn't right. want his byline on it, although that story is being spread by the New York Times, which in itself uh. doesn't have a great track record with telling the truth. And it's quoting anonymous uh, sources who they say are post-journalists. So, you know, is that true or not? We don't know. There's, there's as, right. as much evidence for that story as there is for the laptop story but the laptop story nonetheless was covered by a mainstream media outlet that's been around for 100 years for facebook and twitter to make the decision yeah. that they were going to censor that story i think is uh, concerning in and of itself uh but particularly when you factor in the way that they had allowed all of these, what turned out to be fake news, conspiracy theory stories about Trump campaign, Russia collusion for right. years, the P-tape story, the oh, yeah. collusion stories that, that were going on for years and years and years that we talked about endlessly on this here uh, little podcast. Which all turned now and again, fucking hell! I, I keep saying to people on Facebook, they turned out to be bullshit, and people go, "No, they weren't." Uh, I'm like, hold on a second. Even Muller, Muller literally said there was no evidence for collusion that he could find, and yet people still seem to believe that collusion is a fact, which is evidence itself of how much that story was covered in the media. So much so yeah, that people still believe. 
it was true. Yeah. And, like, there were contacts between people in Trump's campaign and Trump's inner circle and Russia, but that's not collusion. That's contacts. They were talking about stuff. It wasn't about, hey, can you help us uh, win this election? Sure, absolutely. That's collusion. Collusion regarding the election is, hey, can you help us win this election? Sure, we can help you win that election. Let's come up with a plan. That is collusion. There's no evidence of that. And as I've said for years, if that had happened, we would know because Trump would have told us from day one, hey, guess what? We're we're colluding with Russia. It's great. It's the best collusion anyone's ever done. It's fabulous. You're going to love this collusion because he has no fucking filter. Right, Right, right. I'm paying off a debt. Don't don't worry about the details, but I owe some money, so we're gonna do. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, we all know that Russia would rather have him in the White House than Hillary or Biden because I think they're they're more um, um, competent adversaries. But just because they might have done something on their own doesn't mean it is collusion. You're right; it hasn't been proved up to this point. But when you talk about it for years, like you were just saying, it becomes the truth. It becomes the narrative that everybody yeah. grabs onto, and that's it. And and if I could just real quick, you've been going on about this for at least a year now about why do people choose the news sources they do? Why do they believe the stories that they believe in? Why don't why don't people have the courage to purposefully go listen or read or whatever something, some news outlet that you don't agree with just to get some perspective? And so this is right up there. So Trump, excuse me, so Twitter and Facebook have been putting all these stories, all these cockamamie or whatever you want to call it, stories out for years. This one comes out. And yeah, on the surface, it seems way too far-fetched. And now they're going to put the brakes on it. I, the, the people that were jumping on Twitter and Facebook's back are, are right to go, well, well, you can't suddenly, you know, grow a pair of moral te- uh, testicles and not expect some blowback from this because Twitter and Facebook has, have been making money for years, put, letting people put almost anything on their feeds. Yeah. And now, now they decide that they're going to filter this particular story because right. it yeah. looks bad for Biden coming up to an election. Um, now, for people who don't know what the story is, the New York Post uh, posted w- what appear to be uh, photographs of emails sent to Hunter Biden back right. when he was on the board of Burisma uh, in the Ukraine, thanking him for setting up uh, a meeting with mm-hmm. uh, his dad. It's from a Ukrainian businessman. Well, right. first of all... Emails asking Hunter to set up, uh, well, to, to, no, let me go back. First of all, emails from uh, Hunter, uh, fuck, let me start again, shit. So for people that actually haven't paid any attention to the story, mm-hmm. the New York Post had photos, what appear to be, what they claim to be, photos of right. emails that were taken off a laptop owned by Hunter Biden, allegedly. Um, And now, apparently, where did they get these from? Well, the story is that a computer repair shop in Delaware, Joe Biden's state, and by the way, the most corrupt state in America, um, (laughs) computer repair shop had a laptop that was dropped off by Hunter Biden to get repaired. Right. Uh, the story is that the repair guy went, sure, uh, by the way, while I'm repairing it, I'm going to go read all your emails and watch all your videos. And he was shocked sure. at how what he found 
<clears throat> so he contacted Rudy Giuliani. Gave it to Rudy Giuliani, as you would. Because that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> now, uh, the, the, apparently, this laptop contained videos of Hunter Biden smoking crack and having sex yeah. with prostitutes um, and emails from a Ukrainian businessman begging Hunter Biden to use his connections to help Burisma, the corrupt energy firm that he was on the board of, escape mm-hmm. a shakedown. Later on, this Burisma exec appeared to thank Biden for an introduction to his father. Right. Now, uh, this is interesting because, if it's true, if this was true, it would be interesting because both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have denied that uh, they had there was anything going on in connection with Hunter Biden's uh, position with Burisma um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, his dad uh, uh, pushing to get the prosecutor over there fired. The, you know the, the the story the Trump campaign's been pushing for right. years is that the prosecutor was looking into Burisma. Hunter Biden took a seat on Burisma. Joe Biden got the prosecutor fired and then boasted about it. Well, some of those things are true. Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma, a known corrupt organization, and he had no reason to be on the board. He had no experience (laughs) with the energy sector in Ukraine or with the Ukraine. His father just happened to be Obama's point man, uh, establishing the new US-backed government in Ukraine Mm. at the time. And Joe Biden did uh, put pressure on the Ukrainian government to fire the prosecutor, and then he did boast about it on camera, and we have footage of that. But the the flaw in the story is apparently the prosecutor wasn't trying to prosecute Burisma. He had done nothing about prosecuting Burisma. And they were trying to replace, this is the official story, they were trying to replace him with a prosecutor who would prosecute Burisma. So, of course, they did replace him with a new prosecutor mm-hmm. who also never prosecuted Burisma. So that's where their story <clears throat> sort of falls down. Yes. Um, now, the other part of the story is that Joe Biden has always denied even knowing that Hunter Biden took the job. Um, he said, in September last year, Joe Biden said, I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. But in July last year, Hunter Biden said that when he took the job in December 2015, his father told him, I hope you know what you're doing, which uh, would seem to indicate that they had had a discussion. Yeah. So there's a problem in that story. Right. Um, so anyway, these emails, if true, would you know, demonstrate that all of those things uh, were a lie mm-hmm. uh, about his involvement in Brisbane and his knowing about Hunter's um, job uh, with Brisbane. Now, my issue always with this is that it obviously uh, smells really bad if your dad is the point guy in Ukraine and you happen to swing a job that's paying, I think it was like $50,000 a month yeah. he was getting paid uh, to sit on the board of a known corrupt energy organization that had, you know, there were investigations going going on, particularly out of England before this, regarding Burisma and corruption and money laundering and uh, it's illegally buying state assets through backdoor deals and all this kind of stuff. Um, it looked looked really mm-hmm. bad, and uh, and I'm not the only person to think so. Like b- before this all blew up, the you know there's 
stories going back in 2015 and mainstream US media outlets saying this looks like nepotism or at, at the very least, it just looks yeah, bad, right? You, you know, the son of the vice president taking a board position with a corrupt Ukrainian organization looks bad. Now, my story has always been, well, I'm pretty sure Hunter Biden wouldn't have taken this job without talking to Joe yeah. about it in the first place. So for Joe to say he didn't know anything about it sounds right. ridiculous. But even if that is true, when Joe did find out about it, he should have told his son to yeah. quit. Son didn't quit until last year. He held the job for four nice. years. Um, and then if his son refused to quit the position, Joe should have publicly denounced him. He should have publicly said, listen, I'm aware that my son's taken this job um, on the board of an organization which is believed to be corrupt, mm -hmm. uh, allegedly corrupt, in Ukraine, where I've had a lot of involvement. Um, it looks really bad for America. It looks really bad for our family. Uh, and I have public, I have privately asked him to resign, and he's refused. That's all I'm going to say on the matter today. I just want to be public about right. the fact that, I, yes, I know about it. B, I disagree with it. I've, uh, but, you know, I can't force him. He's my son, but I can't force him to do anything. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. If Joe had done that, I'd be like, fair enough. Yeah. But he didn't. He's, he never did that. And, and then their stories got all out of whack. Um, so that's been my issue with it. It just looks corrupt. Yeah. And again, Joe is the, has been the senator of the most corrupt state in America for the last 40 years. Yeah. So uh, that is that story. Now, adding to that, I also want to point, point out that since the New York Post ran their story about the videos and the emails, the Biden campaign and Hunter Biden mm -hmm. have not denied their authenticity. Ah, if they were fake, they would have said so straight away. Sorry, these are absolutely fake. I never took videos. There are no videos of any description of me doing crack and banging prostitutes. And those conversations, those meetings never happened. So uh, they, they're obviously fakes. Uh, thank you very much. Have a nice but day. They haven't said right. that. But I guess I assumed, you know, for, for if you want to, let's assume for a second, this is a political hit job. I guess what I assumed was the Russians, very advanced when it comes to computers, um, probably hacked Hunter Biden, got legitimate videos, got legitimate emails, got legitimate contacts from his, from his computer, generated this computer, put all those in there, and then put in some, you know, some f fraud, fraudulent emails to make him look bad. I just assumed it was a very good um, setup by some outside entity. And of course, the whole thing kind of falls apart when you leave it in a, in a repair shop in, I think, April of 2019. But the point is, I assumed that a lot or the majority of the material on the computer was legitimate. And there might have been some, some doctored documents, which is why maybe he is not saying that they're false, but now that I'm saying that out loud, that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, he should just come out and say, this is absolute horseshit. Those, those emails are not mine, but he's not saying anything. It's kind of murky. Yeah, murky. exactly. Okay. Now, by the way, with regards to taking the job at Burisma yeah. um, for people who are still trying to defend him and Joe over that, in 2019, Hunter himself Acknowledged that he exercised poor judgment Aww. in accepting. Did he the keep job. the money? So even he acknowledges, <laughs> of course, he kept the money. Oh, and he snorted the money. But of course, 
Oh, and, and by the yeah. way, you know, some people have said to me when I mentioned his drug addiction, some people have said, well, you know, you know, with my background with, with alcohol and drugs uh, that I should uh, be more sensitive. No, an addict's an addict. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's a bad right. person for being Absolutely. an addict, but addicts in the throes of addiction uh, exercise bad judgment. I mean, that's, that's, the whole that's point. part and exactly. parcel of being a crack exactly. addict. So I'm not, I'm not shaming him for being a crack addict, but the fact is he's a fucking crack addict. Uh, he might be cleaning himself up now, and if he is, congratulations to him. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's an inherently bad human being, but he made a lot of bad decisions. Yes. And even his ex-wife has said that when she sued him, for, and he was like giving expensive jewelry to prostitutes that he was banging. Yeah, when he was like, like the guy's a fucking mess. Right. Um, and I think it's okay to say that. I'm not. Without, we're not shaming yeah. him, but he's a fucking mess. It's and not that's, a moral judgment. I hope he cleans himself exactly. up, etc. But anyway. can I can I ask real quick before we move on? So let's let's get down to what I think you 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 just said was the the core issue of this story. So no, no. Before you, yep. Sorry. Before you go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. Before you do yeah. that, I want to get back to your Russian. Oh, yeah. Um, go ahead. Theory. Right. Now that w- that does make sense. I I would not be surprised if that is the story. You know, the Russians hacked it. They got all this stuff. Right. Um. Maybe they, you know, manufactured a laptop um, to make it look like it was his. Dumped all this stuff on it, right. and you know, gave it to Giuliani or gave it to the computer repair shop guy who says he's legally blind, so he couldn't actually see the person who dropped it off. That would make us lose it. However, the the US Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, who is part of Trump's inner circle, has insisted that there is no evidence that Russians or other foreign actors are behind the hard drive. Yes. Now, you may or may not believe him, but that's what he is saying. The FBI is in possession of the laptop, I believe, and is investigating isn't, the whole yeah. thing. It, but Isn't it yeah. too soon for someone to make the declarative statement? As far as I can tell, the Russians were not involved. I mean, if they've, if they've still got the laptop and you know they're going over that thing with a fine-tooth comb, isn't it a little premature to say that? But that, that's just my guess. But see, even going back to this guy gave it, he calls the FBI, he turns the laptop over to the FBI, he makes a copy of the hard drive. Steve Bannon finds out about it. He gives the copy of the hard drive, I believe, to Rudy Giuliani. I mean, that's where the story quickly leaves reality. It's like, why in the hell would you do that? I guess he was a big Trump fan or a big uh, Rudy fan. I have no idea. But that's yeah. where... It, no, he's a, yeah. he's, he's a Trump supporter. His name, the computer repair shop guy's name is John Paul McIsaac right. of Wilmington in Delaware. He's a apparently a big Trump supporter. And his story is that this MacBook Pro was dropped off in April 2019 at his show. The owner never came back for it. And he and the repair guy noticed a Bo Biden foundation sticker right. on it, decided to look through the hard drive because that's ethical. <laughs> and uh, then he claims he alerted the FBI about the drive, gave it over to the agency. And this is like, a year and a half yeah. ago, we're only hearing about it right. now. October surprise. Apparently, the guy made a the guy made a copy of the data, then sent it to Robert Costello, who's Rudy Giuliani's lawyer. But um, it's all very murky. Yeah. But you know, I want to point out that the director of national intelligence says there's no evidence of Russians. They've had it since well, eighteen months. So it's 
even though we're just finding ah. out about it, the FBI's had it for a year and a gotcha. half. Well, a year and May, June, July, August, September. Yeah, no, fucking a Pro- year and a half. So it's enough time. A year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've had enough time to go over it and figure out what's going on. So, you know, yeah. but anyway, you know, I don't trust the FBI or the Director of National Intelligence Is it? anyway. So yeah. I'm not taking any side of the story here, but it's a real fucking story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for Facebook and Twitter and all of the fucking Democrats to come out and go, it's fake news. No, it's not fake news. It's news news, and it deserves to be covered at least as much as the P-tape was, <laughs> which was literally fake news and the, the Steele dossier and all of that kind of stuff, which was covered for years in by the mainstream media and allowed to be linked to on Facebook and Twitter. Like, it, it just seems to be a little bit um, hypocritical right. to allow massive coverage of that obvious. And my my... My attitude about all of that, as you will recall at the time, was, listen, I don't mind covering that, but it doesn't, It's until there's some evidence, yeah. let's just mention it, it doesn't deserve wall-to-wall fucking coverage and analysis. Yes. Let the investigation run, and then let's see where it comes out at the end of the day. The blanket wall-to-wall coverage of Russian collusion, hour. when yeah. based on nothing apart from rumor and innuendo, was I thought over the top and ridiculous, and this the you know the complete banning of this story. Now, by the way, Twitter, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, reversed Twitter's banning of it within I don't know, twenty four or forty eight mm-hmm. hours, and said, "No, that was wrong. We should we shouldn't have done that." But uh, to the best of my knowledge, Facebook has not reversed their position on it. But it's the hypocrisy right. that bothers. Well, me. Again, yeah, and and uh, Facebook was slowing down the article spread. So so the point. Because we know this in whatever form, this is going to happen again. So what are the guidelines or what are the rules or the laws? If, if um, Can anybody put anything that theoretically doesn't endanger someone's life on Facebook? And no matter how outrageous it is, it's then up to the individual reader to make a judgment call on that. I mean, does Facebook or Twitter have the right because it is their platform are they trying to protect themselves? I mean, I totally get the hypocrisy uh, involved here, but um, I just, I just wonder. It's like there's no way this could ever, there's no way this could ever be smooth. Either they leave everything up for everybody to see, which creates all types of shitstorms, or they try to track and go after things that are not true, and then they get hit by. Um, all the other social medias uh, attacking them for for being the judge and jury on this. I, I just find this this whole thing is murky and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And there's going to be more more stories like this. And I guess that's just what happens when you live in a free society where you can say practically anything you want. Yeah. Not that it's good for us. Well. But anyway. Hmm. Well, that's that part of the story. Yeah. Uh, getting back to what's not good for you. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think we did the story at the time. No. But, uh, as I'm sure people know, six guys uh, were planning, apparently, to kidnap the governor of Michigan because uh, they weren't happy with lockdown, coronavirus lockdown, that kind of stuff. They were called the Wolverine Watchmen, Ray, which I've got to admit, 
is a cool fucking name. That is, I give them points for that because I love Wolverine and I love and I love the Watchmen. Yeah, so so you put them together, win and it's great. Yeah, yeah, and it's WW. <laughs> <laughs> which you know looks good good for a logo oh, it's wonder woman yes they probably just stole the wonder woman logo so then you got wolverine watchman and wonder woman all together oh, i mean a little turned on pretty good and yeah. they were gonna they were gonna kidnap gretchen whitmer, whitmer so then they could have there's your fourth w like the four w's right. yeah fifth even you know wolverine watchman wonder woman whitman whitmer um <laughs> yeah anyway right. So they got they got brought down these guys because during the planning stages when it got to kidnapping, right. they they were like one of what I assume is one of a million uh, malicious oh, yes. <laughs> hiding away in uh, little white picket fenced houses across suburban America, yeah. and uh, one of the uh, guys who was part of it when they started talking about kidnapping the governor, <laughs> like, he went, "Whoa, whoa shit!" Uh, I can back out. I don't want to be involved yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, actually, there were two informants exactly. in the group yeah. uh, who neither knew that the other was an informant. They contacted law enforcement who then infiltrated it with two other guys that were FBI infiltrators and they you know, got recordings of all of the meetings and the planning and all of that kind of stuff. But they would not have known about this if couple of the people inside the group hadn't gone shit i don't want to i don't want to be involved in a kidnapping right. i'm gonna i'm going to uh Narc. you know contact the authorities yes. but according to the recordings and the case against and the affidavit of the fbi one of them guy by the name of adam fox and that you know anyone with the name fox should immediately be suspect <laughs> uh he was the group's leader yeah. in one of the recordings he said in all honesty, oh, hold on, I'm having been my redneck uh, voice. <clears throat> in all honesty, right now, I just want to make the world glow, dude. I'm not even fucking kidding. I just want to make it all glow, dude. I don't fucking care anymore. I'm just so sick of it. That's what it's going to take for us to take it back. Everything's going to have to be annihilated, man. We're going to topple it all, dude. It's what great freaking conquerors, man. We're just going to conquer every fucking thing, man. All right. Now. Let's break that down. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 look, we did a story a couple of weeks ago right. about all the different scenarios for how the next civil war is going to start. And uh, it's, right here. it's groups like this yes. and guys like this. Right the fuck here. That is what we were talking about. It was like, I think literally this story came out a day or two after we did that fucking podcast right. about, uh, yeah. you know, how it's all going to start. So they managed to catch these guys ahead of time. Will they catch the next group? Mm, uh, who, knows? who knows? Well, there'll be more than one, and eventually one of them will get through. But may I, just as a Southern white boy, just take a moment. And we also know that there, there doesn't seem to be, much, to be much, have been much talk about race relations. There wasn't much talk about Trump. It was pretty much government is evil. The government people are evil. There's, there's this lockdown. They're taking away our rights because this group wanted to live their lives by the, uh, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. They just wanted a pure form, whatever. But if you sit this guy, Adam Fox, down and you go, I bet you're mad at the government. They're telling you what you can do, what you can't do. That's bullshit, right? You want to kill him, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm going to fucking kill him. Then you go, well, what about this? What if I told you those government people that you hate that keep telling you what you can and cannot do? Do you realize that 
they're just the bitches of corporations. The corporations tell you what to like, what not to like, who to envy. And the entire time that they're doing this, they're nickel and diming you to death. But I don't think that's as sexy. No one says, let's go take over this corporation or shoot a, a CEO or whatever. But I think there's just something in the American spirit going all the way back to the American Revolutionary War. You're a government official. You tell us what to do. We're going to come and we're going to fucking come after your ass. But again, I just find this whole thing crazy because what are they going to do? Kill a couple of politicians and suddenly the rest of the, the country is supposed to fall apart. And then they're going to come in and take over and re and form some new government based just on the Bill of Rights, or whatever. I mean, this has zero chance of working. There's no way they would not have been tracked down and found if they had um, kidnapped the governor. I don't get how someone goes, man, it's a fucking shame what we're doing. And then the next person goes, we ought to do something about it. This stuff never works out. I don't, I can't see how they possibly thought this was going to somehow work and maybe change the face of America. It is beyond me, but I guess that's what, um, desperation, ignorance, inbreeding. I don't know. Isn't this exactly how the Boston Tea Party started, though? The American mm. independence war started by a group of guys just like this, throwing tea into the sea because they didn't like it competing with the American I, tea. I see what you're saying. and I, Well, American-sourced tea. Right. I see what you're saying, but this is literally six guys, and the government now was the American government. It's not the British authorities. I mean... I see what you're saying, but it's it's apples and oranges as far as what they thought they could hey, achieve. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, 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 yeah. it wasn't the, America wasn't America before that. The government was the government and it was British. Right. The you were just a colony. They overthrew the government, the, 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 the uh, legitimate government of the country. That's uh, all these guys want to do. No, 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 because you said on a previous bullshit episode because you always made fun of our founding fathers which hurt which hurt me very much when we had the american <laughs> revolution we were being led by the ideals of our elite this is six guys who may be having sex with each other um and, and a bunch of rifles and, and cans of beans and uh tactical gear it's apples and oranges but Again, the, the, the point we're supposed to be taking away from all this is that it's getting to the point where people are taking up arms and they're actually trying to change things on their own with violence. And if people don't think that, if, you know, for people who think, well, they're just one group of six guys Ooh, in hearings, I think last month before the House Homeland Security Committee, FBI Director Christopher Wray... Yeah who also was, uh, I think, uh, Winnie the Pooh's best friend when he was a kid. He's growing up to become the FBI director. He said the Bureau conducts about 1,000 domestic terrorism investigations a year, and this last year it's been well north of 1,000. Most of these cases, he said, involve white supremacist groups. Yes. I um, Contradicting Donald Trump, who says that it's mostly leftists like Antifa. Right. Uh, Ray says that the most lethal attacks come from anti-government, anti-authority, anarchist extremists. We don't think in terms of left or right, he said. That's not how we view the world. And also, mm -hmm. uh, there was when this story originally broke about these guys in the, trying to kidnap uh, the Wolverine Watchmen guys. Right. 
the story was that they there, there wasn't anything to suggest that they were necessarily pro-Trump. Yeah. That was countered by uh, an Australian journalist, David Lipson, right. works for the ABC in Australia. He's the North America Bureau Chief. He put out a story on the 11th of October. Uh, he met and filmed some of these guys. Mm-hmm for a documentary that he was making for the ABC in Australia. Damn. A couple of the guys who were members of the Wolverine Watchmen, he uh, went and spent days with them at shooting ranges and uh, (laughs) interviewed them about, you know, their whole sort of uh, mission, what they were doing. He says uh, they were called the Null Brothers, uh, William and Michael Null. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, We went along to a shooting range with them and filmed them loading high-capacity magazines into semi-automatic assault weapons and firing them off at targets. Uh, They've both been charged with providing material support for the whole uh, Michigan kidnapping plan. He says that... uh, There we go. Where is it? Maga, 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 maga. Oh, yeah. Uh, judging by the number of MAGA hats and Trump flags and those we spoke to directly, almost all of them were ardent supporters of Mr. Trump. Right. Um, so there you go. So there you go. I-, um, I think the story that got put out in the media was, well, there's no evidence that they were Trump supporters. Uh, this guy who spent time with him goes, oh, yeah, yeah, totally Trump supporters, most of them at least. I, I think another way to look at that is I think we can all guess that very few, if any of them, are Biden supporters. I mean, let's be honest here. But again, if I could just go, <laughs> if I could just get on my soapbox for 20 seconds, for people that I won't name that I'm related to, I don't want to hear any more about foreigners coming in, sneaking across the border, um, even though they're running from violence in their own country, to come here and to grab onto our glorious living standard. Someone who's an illegal alien coming here, getting a job and getting food stamps can't cost nearly as much as it costs the FBI and these other intelligence agencies to keep an eye on these homegrown terrorists of ours. It's apples and oranges. But again, if you just listen to Trump and certain people, it's the slightly darker skinned people coming in across our border illegally. That's the problem. And now the people that were born and raised right here who have access to some serious hardware who want to burn this place down and rebuild it in their own image. That's the fucking scary part for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done now. Um, here's a, another interesting stat. In 2017, a YouGov poll was run, and part of it was asked how much, uh, how many people felt that they were justified in using violence to achieve their political goals. Mm-hmm. Um, both self-identified Republicans and Democrats in that poll, only 8% of both parties said that they felt mm. justified in using violence. Right. A couple of months ago, YouGov ran the same poll, and it was 36% Fuck. of Republicans and 33% of Democrats Damn. feel at least somewhat justified in using violence to achieve their political goals. It's coming. So, uh, it's yeah, come well, on. who the fuck knows what's coming? I mean, they, I honestly want to fight. I, I don't take any joy in this. No, no, I, no, I no, hope no. it doesn't happen yeah. because I have 
family and friends like yourself over there. And I would hate to see everyone get swept swept up, <laughs> listeners. Hate to get see everyone swept up in this. But the fact is, this has been building. This has been coming for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And uh, I think it is inevitable. I hope I'm wrong. I right. really do. Um, but, you know, we will see. I just have to say real quick, don't let the irony pass you by. If there's a lot of shit going on in Latin America and there's a lot of violence and um, gangs and a lot of people are leaving there to come to America to avoid the violence and then it gets really shitty here and then I'm knocking on Australia's door saying, please let me in. There's a lot of violence in my country. And Australia goes, nope, sorry, sorry, can't. I mean, it's the same thing all. It's the same thing all over again. But like you said, hopefully, it never gets to that point. Yeah. Well, moving right along, yeah. let's talk about uh, COVID yeah. in your country. Did you know that COVID um, was political? Yes, it's fucking political. Everything's political. Yes, it's fucking satirical. Everything's satirical. Yes, it's fucking political. Everything's political. Oh, I've forgotten about that track. I haven't heard that for years. Skunk and Nancy. Yes, it's fucking political. Everything. Everything's is. political. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Uh, and, and fuck anyone who tells you. Anything different. So, um, uh, obviously, your country fucked when it comes to COVID still, uh, but you're not the only one. Uh, right. Lots of other countries Thank have you. fucked. Europe's fucked. Right. Uh, Iran is fucked. Or Russia's fucked. But um, Australia, we're back on track again nice. after Melbourne and Sydney have managed, or New, Victoria and New South Wales have managed to get their numbers back down again. But Chrissy and I were having a discussion last week about whether or not the majority of coronavirus uh, cases and deaths in the United States would be in red states or blue states. Mm -hmm. She seemed to think they would be in red states because of the whole, you know, I have a right not to wear a mask and I have a right to congregate and you can't tell me what to do. I'm an American and that kind of stuff. However, Uh I looked, so I looked it up. Uh, Washington Post, September 17th, 2020. So it's about a month old. Uh, It says, uh, most recent data indicates that about 53% of deaths have occurred in blue states, Mm -hmm. meaning that 47% have occurred in red states. Right. However, the total deaths uh, in blue states was dropping and the total deaths in red states, did I say blue states? Blue states was dropping, red states was growing. Um, so if you go back earlier to sort of March, April, the vast majority of the deaths were in blue states. Oh yeah. New York, um, New Jersey. And I, New yeah. York, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they were the places that got hit, uh, the worst earlier. Is Jersey blue? I thought New Jersey was a red I, state. I don't know. I take that back. New York then. Okay. okay. You're just fucking I'm making shit, shit up. up. You don't know well, it was shit. in the article. It said New York and New own, Jersey. It's like five, 10 minutes up the road from you. Don't you know uh, what's going on? No. No. <laughs> Not in New Jersey. All I know is no, Jersey. No, you're right. It is a, sure. I just looked it up. 
It's a de- it's a democratic okay. stronghold, New Jersey. Oh, I just thought Chris Chris Christie's from there. Oh, that's isn't he? right. Isn't he the governor? Yeah, he apologized, by the way, for not taking COVID more seriously, for not wearing a mask, and not being a better sure. role model. I think that kind of thing happens after you know you nearly die. People get perspective. So good for him. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So. Um... Bottom line is that, yeah, it was blue states mostly originally, but uh, it's changing. If you look at the coronavirus deaths by day now, Mm -hmm. uh, far more in red states than in blue states. Blue states, again, this is about a month ago, data was about 75% of deaths. Coming from since about July, August, by the looks of this chart, um, 75% of the deaths coming from red states, 25% from blue states. So it was different initially, but then I think as the whole I don't need to wear a mask uh, rhetoric ramped up in the Republican uh, communities, it it flipped. So if people are wondering about that, as Chrissy was, that's the stats. Total deaths more in blue states, still just minor, at least there was a month ago. Um, but uh, the crossover was sort of late June, early July, by the looks of right. it. Um, since then, increasingly, the deaths have been in red states, uh, up to like seventy-five percent, roughly, in red states. So it is uh, fucking political, right? So when Trump said, "If we took the blue state deaths out, we'd be looking pretty good." Well, one, the blue deaths are still Americans, and uh, two, he's obviously wrong. So, but my thing is, are they though? <laughs> my thing is, are they a real Americans? If you have rallies and no one wears masks and COVID spreads, by the time it comes for the voting part of it, which is kind of important, you're gonna have fewer people because they're in the hospital or they're in the ground. So, not the best strategy Trump has ever had, holding all these rallies. But what do I know? I'm not president. Yeah. Let's move Mm -hmm. on to the OPCW story, Ray. Now, uh, long-term listeners will know that we started the Bullshit Filter with a 375 episodes (laughs) arc on uh, the Syrian Civil War. At least it seemed that long. I think it was like 27 episodes or something on the Syrian Civil War. Wars take time to cover. Anyway. and one of the things that we talked about uh, a lot were the allegations coming out of America that uh, the Assad government was dropping chemical weapons uh, on its own people. And, you know, we were sort of looking at the evidence or lack thereof yeah. for that story, which was the official mainstream story coming out of Western governments. The Assad government denied it. Um, but all of the, and, and their, their allies, like the Russians, denied it. Um, but the, the Western countries all said, no, nah, no, nah, it's absolutely the, the Assad right. government that's doing then it. Then we bombed them. And then what we saw happen a little bit later on is the OPCW, the uh, official UN uh, chemical weapons watchdog, mm-hmm. started to get some, there's some problems in their story. Right. And we started to find out there were some whistleblowers inside the OPCW over the last couple of years that have talked about the fact that their reporting uh, was being uh, manipulated and censored by the West. Well, 
Uh, on October 5th, uh, Aaron Mate from the Grey Zone published a story, XOPCW Chief Jose Bustani reads Syria testimony that the US and the UK blocked at the UN. Mm. Um, so he tried to give testimony about the OPCW's cover-up of Syria, and he was blocked. Right. So he provided his statement to um, the Grey Zone. Now, who is this guy? He was the very first director of the OPCW. Mm-hmm. And then this is uh, 2002, he got kicked out of the job by John Bolton right. when he was criticizing the US and its use of chemical weapons in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, well, Iraq would have been 2003. So in Afghanistan, um, he, was, he was forced out, <clears throat> but uh, still closely uh, connected, I guess, to people inside of the OPCW. Yes. This is uh, from his own speech. For those of you who are not aware, I was removed from office following a US orchestrated campaign in 2002 for, ironically, trying to uphold the Chemical Weapons Convention. Uh, my, revo- my removal was subsequently ruled to be illegal by the International Labour Organization's Administrative Tribunal, mm. but despite this unpleasant experience, the OPCW remains close to my heart, etc., etc., etc. Although no longer at the helm by this time, I felt great joy when the OPCW was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2013. La, 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 la. Um, Let me get to the point. Of particular concern are the circumstances surrounding the OPCW's investigation of the alleged chemical attack in Douma, Syria on the 7th of April 2018. These concerns are emanating from the very heart of the organisation, from the very scientists and engineers involved in the Douma investigation. In October 2019, I was invited by the Courage Foundation, an international organization that supports those who risk life or liberty to make significant contributions to the historical record, to participate in a panel along with a number of eminent international figures from the fields of international law, disarmament, military operations, medicine and intelligence. Mm -hmm. The panel was convened to hear the concerns of an OPCW official over the conduct of the organization's investigation into the Duma incident. Uh, He goes on to say, I was personally so disturbed by the testimony and evidence presented to the panel that I was compelled to make a public statement. And he was calling for greater transparency, et cetera, et cetera. There was a petition that Noam Chomsky and people like that signed saying that the OPCW needed to open up its books. Uh, He said that the time of his, of of this uh, writing of this speech, they still had not responded to that request. And basically, you've got the original director general of the OPCW saying that uh, based on the testimony that he and others heard Mm -hmm. from one of their own people, uh, the robustness of its uh, investigation in Duma and the integrity of the investigation uh, was significantly flawed and it's being used as a political weapon. Right. Now, this story hasn't got a lot of coverage in the mainstream media, which is why I thought we should uh, talk about it, because it ties back into how we started the series and the, the fact that despite, uh, you know, the fact that, the, you know, I'm a big supporter of the UN, flawed though it is, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big uh, supporter of the initial aegis behind the creation of it in the eyes of FDR in particular. 
Yes. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, it's never been given the requisite tools to live up to that vision, but it could be given them. It's not a difficult exercise. It just requires the political will to get it done. Uh, we still need to be sceptical when the OPCW and organisations like that come out with conclusions yes. that don't, be, don't seem to be supported by sufficient levels of evidence. Yeah. We still need to have an evidence-based mindset, even when they're coming from organisations that we want to trust and respect. Right. Well, if I could real quick, Bustani was basically saying, you know, because he's no longer the director anymore, he's like, look, these people want to talk to you. These, these engineers, these scientists, they want to be able to say whatever it is that they find. They don't want to be censored. They don't want to be spun. They don't want to be told to shut the hell down and you're ruining the narrative. They just want to get the information out there. And that got me to thinking about well, if they're right and Syria did not use those chemical weapons, fucking somebody did. You would think we would want to know that more than anything else. Who's got these chemical weapons? Who's willing to use them versus the narrative has to be this was Syria so we can keep painting him as the bad guy. And now we have another excuse to bomb him. He's like these these people that work on the ground that actually do the work. They just want to be free to talk. And because of countries like the United States and uh, United, uh, United Kingdom, they're not allowed to. And if they do, they get their toe stepped on like he lost his job. I mean, you would think we would want to know who in the fuck is using chemical weapons. But that's being lost because the Western powers have a story to sell to the world. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm finished preaching now. Sorry. So the lesson, I guess, again, is just uh, remain skeptical yes. and demand evidence. Yeah. That's it. Like, just demand trust. evidence for, for, for these things. Yeah. yeah. And again, there is a difference, in my mind anyway, between conspiracy theories mm. and pointing out the lack of evidence to support conclusions, particularly when those conclusions too neatly map to uh, propaganda being issued from one side of a debate. Yes. Uh, and the, mo the mo more powerful side of a debate. Um, you, you, we need to be careful, cautious. I want to move on to talk about green billionaires. Uh, this is fascinating. Max Blumenthal, who's the creator of The Grey Zone, I heard him being interviewed recently by Michael Moore on Michael Moore's uh, podcast. So uh, he's talking about an investigation that he, Blumenthal, has recently done mm -hmm. on a professional activist network run, funded by billionaires designed to uh, basically shut down any criticism yeah. from the left of the green movement huh what what why would they mm. want criticism from the left of the green movement quieted because it sounds like the green movement sounds like a great thing why would i want that not attacked so the the, the suggestion here is that the green movement mm -hmm. hasn't made a great deal of progress in the last 20 years uh, there's a number of reasons for that, but one of them, according to Blumenthal, right. is that it is being run by uh, interests that don't want to see a lot of progress because they're uh, being funded by fossil fuel 
companies and, and industries closely associated with fossil fuels. Well, it's I think astroturfed is uh, <laughs> one of the terms that get used. It looks green, but it's not really green. So, right? so what happened right? is sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say real quick. So let's say you and I start up a nonprofit organization about getting word out there about being environmentally responsible and all the different things that you can do day in and day out. So someone comes along with a bunch of money and they say, Hey, we love what you're doing. Let us support you so you can get the message out. And when they're in with their money, they start giving us suggestions or guidance or guidelines. And suddenly the narrative isn't ours anymore. And, but then they can get us to say anything they want because they keep feeding us money and who doesn't want money. So, so things are being, some messages are being hijacked or organizations that maybe started out decently or being hijacked by billionaires? Is that kind of how it's going? Or do I understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's basically his allegations. Mm. So this goes back to a documentary that Michael Moore produced and promoted called Planet of the Humans. It came out uh, for free on YouTube in April 2020. Right. Directed by Jeff Gibbs, who's uh, one of Michael Moore's long-term collaborators. Mm. And um, basically it was about, I haven't seen it, but uh, I've seen the trailer. I've read a bit about it. It's, ba- it's about, you know, the, the, the chances of planetary extinction of the human race and, um, right. you know, how uh, we're all doomed. We're not doing enough the wrong to, direction. to battle it, climate change, exactly. these sorts of things. Yeah. And it got it got attacked, brutally attacked by the green movement. It was attacked what? from the left cl- uh, by climate activists. Right? They accused us accused it of being racist and eco-fascist, uh, and uh, tried to get it taken down from YouTube. It was actually taken down from YouTube based on a copyright claim mm-hmm. that didn't last long, but it got taken down. So Max Blumenthal was like, this is weird. Why is the left attacking a documentary that's talking about an issue which supposedly has got a lot of support from the left? Right. And one of the reasons was it was attacking the Green New Deal. Um, oh. And according to him, uh, the Green New Deal, which is being promoted in various forms by some leftist politicians like uh, AOC in the US uh, and I think Bernie Sanders Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Trump keeps claiming that Biden supports it. Biden doesn't seem to know if he does or he doesn't. (laughs) I think his website says he does in his camp, in his uh, debates. He says he doesn't. Um, (laughs) But the, the, the point of the documentary was to say that the green new deal is uh, poorly, uh, poorly constructed and isn't, going to work and isn't enough but uh, they were criticized for criticizing it so anyway blumenthal's gone through it and he points the fingers at guys like bill mckibben who's the founder of an organization called 350.org he's one of the leading voices of climate activism Mm -hmm. in the u.s Um, he's basically saying that these sorts of guys have all been corrupted by money from uh, Google, Bloomberg, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, uh, who on the surface surface of things look like they're pro-green, uh, but they're not really. They're billionaires running their own 
agendas, oh. trying to, you know, have a little bit of uh, progress on the green front, but not so much that it would right. damage their businesses uh, and their, their wealth. Mm. Anyway, um, interesting story that I recommend everyone checks out. We should have watched this documentary if you haven't already. And uh, just... Again, it's it's. I think it's a good indication. Gets back to my psychopath book that, you know, uh, uh, just because somebody seems to be, or an organization or an individual seems to be echoing the sorts of concerns or issues that you have on the left or the right, right, doesn't mean that they haven't been co-opted by co-opted by psychopaths. Right, psychopaths are everywhere. They, they co-opt everything and they drive it to their own agenda. And they're very good at taking over causes mm. like this to slow them down. Right. I mean, this has happened in Western countries for the last hundred years. In our Cold War show, we went into detail about how uh, the progressive movements in the US, the union movements... Uh, the the civil rights movements, the pro legalization of drug movements, were all at various stages over the last hundred years infiltrated by the FBI, mm-hmm. infiltrated by the like the Tea Party it was a grassroots movements that ended up getting infiltrated by the Coke organization and wow. being subverted to its own yeah. agenda. Um, they're very very good at uh, coming in. You know, starting off, as you said, by throwing money at it. And we've talked on this show, I think, about the, how the Saudis have been doing that with universities and certain media organizations. You come in, you throw some money around. Initially, you go, listen, uh, take the money, no strings attached. We right. don't want to, we'll just love, we admire the work that you're doing. We don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to fuck with it at all. Right. Um, here's the, just take the money. Take yeah. the money. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And then when they get addicted to the money, it's like giving a kid crack, right? When they get addicted to the money, you go, well, <laughs> look, uh, we don't want to interfere with what you're doing, but um, got to say, don't, 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 really, don't really like your current um, CEO. Um, what would be great is if you made this person CEO. I think they're going to do a much better job at spending the money. Right. And, you know, you. if you don't appoint that person as the CEO, yeah. then um, we might have to pull back yeah. our funding, which means you're going to have to fire all those people you just hired because we gave you an extra $100 million and get rid of your new offices right. and the bonuses and the houses and the cars. So they're able to get somebody appointed as a CEO. Then they have that person as the CEO and they go, well, listen, um, obviously between you and me, we got you the job. Yeah. Uh, we give you all the money. You got to you got to tell the stories we want to tell you or put the spin on the stories right. or change this strategy. So it's a it's a it's a delicate process by which you subvert an organization. Um, you, you know, they're very, very good at this. They've been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any who same thing um, here. That's that story, yeah. which I think is it's good. I mean, it's shocking if, particularly if if you're on the left, as you know, uh, obviously I am on, on most things, and you believe in 
the fact that we need to do something about the climate, uh, to know that the most powerful organizations in the movement have been subverted by billionaires that are just trying to slow it down and fuck it up. If that is in fact true, is a very depressing idea. Yes. Probably true. Probably true. Yeah. Let's move on. Unless you want to comment. Uh, no, no. I j- just again, it that goes back to what you were saying. It's like just because there's a movie or a documentary that has a message that you don't like, do you have the right for to demand that it be taken down? Shouldn't it be the beginning of a dialogue or conversation? debate whatever but no to go you did this i don't agree with it it has to be removed from existence isn't that going too far because we are talking about ideas we're not talking about actually you know getting in a ring and punching each other or shooting each other these are ideas we should be able to disagree and discuss but discuss them but again we're just getting to the point where everybody's so adversarial i don't like what you said i want it taken down and destroyed and and you know I want the movie gone from people's eyes. Isn't that a bit extreme just because you don't like it or you disagree with it? Well, yeah, but the point of Blumenthal's story isn't that they wanted to take it down because they just disagree with Mm -hmm. it. They wanted to take it down because it was exposing uh, the, the deep and serious flaws in their agenda but they were ca- but they, um, they were couching they it moved from public right but they but they weren't just saying we want this film yes. removed because it attacks the guys that give me money they were supposedly nobler reasons yeah than that. okay yes same thing right yeah let's move on to bolivia, Yay, bolivia. so um Long, long time listeners, uh, rub your wrong time <laughs> listeners or listeners of the show will know that this is a racist. I don't think that's racist. Uh, well, uh, n- n- remember when the president of Bolivia, Evo Morales, yes, or Evo, Evo Morales, uh, was squeezed out in a coup, resigned right. technically last year, but uh, in the midst of a coup backed by the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and replaced by an uber-religious right-wing government in his country. We did stories about it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we went right back, talked about you know the background of Bolivia and its and the U.S. involvement in trying to run it as a uh, Monroe Doctrine puppet state. Oh yes, um, and how Evo Morales uh, came up as a grassroots union organizer of the 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 working class, the farmers, the coca leaf growers, mm-hmm. and how the U.S. had been attacking him for decades. And uh, finally, yeah, finally, yeah, 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 all this kind of stuff finally got him kicked out. And the and the way that they did it was there was an election. Um, he was pushing for an extra term, changed the constitution, mm-hmm. got his extra term, right. uh, massively supported by the voters. And there were claims of electoral fraud mm-hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, he got kicked out. Right. Um, am I? Hold on. Uh, the changes the constitution. I think I'm getting that mixed up with Venezuela. Anyway, he got he got elected, and the the election was. Contested. Declared to be fraudulent right. and, uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's been in exile in Argentina, I think, mm-hmm. for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. 
The uber right-wing government, uh, led by the interim president, Janine Inez, who uh, was, you know, walking around waving Bibles and that kind of stuff <laughs> right. uh, after she got rid of them. Oh. They had another election last oh, week and shock horror, uh, <laughs> Morales's party, uh, the Socialist Party, led now by his hand-picked successor, Louis Arke, mm-hmm. uh, won massively yes. by the looks of it. Um, massive yeah. victory. Again, so <laughs> this time elections run by the right-wing government again overwhelmingly voted in the left-wing government. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. Will there be a peaceful transition? Oh. Uh, and what is? I mean, the US has got its own problems. I think Trump is a little bit uh, distracted now, busy with his own issues yeah. to get involved. But you know, it's not. This isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. Both the Republicans and oh, the yes. Democrats have a long track record, including including in recent years during the Obama and Clinton years, mm-hmm. of supporting right wing uh, coups in Latin America. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens well, with this. Will Morales return? Yes. Will uh, you know what's? Will there be another coup? There, my guess is yes, there will be another coup in Bolivia, right wing coup. Just depends on uh, when and where, how long it takes. But uh, it just more evidence that the whole bullshit story that the West, particularly the US, was running last year about fraudulent elections under Morales was a crock of shit. Yeah, because um, uh, the interim president president has already conceded defeat, but. You know, that's one day. You give her 24 hours, she gets the military and the, maybe the church authorities behind her. And you're right, I think there's going to be another coup. Morales probably isn't going to be coming back, even for a seat in the Congress, because there are still charges of terrorism and drug trade hanging over his head, which they obviously was probably, I mean, I, my opinion was doctored up. But the point is, yeah, so the people have clearly spoken. Let's see what happens now, because just because... It's in the light of day. Doesn't mean that uh, coups can't still happen because, again, at the end of the day, it's who's ever got the gun pretty much gets what they want. So it would be interesting to see what the government does, even though they now know the majority of the people were behind Morales and his party. When he was forced out last year, the Trump administration called it a watershed moment for democracy Mm. in Latin America. Mm. Not really. but this, this week, yes. a State Department spokesman said, the U.S. looks forward to working with whomever the Bolivians elect. <laughs> We're too busy killing each other and dying from COVID. We ain't got time to sort your shit out. So whoever makes it to the presidential palace, we'll work with you. We just prefer someone on the right. Final story for this week. Um, remember, we, we did this story, I don't fucking know when, sometime in the last few years, about CIA agents in Cuba yes. uh, coming down, or diplomats or somebody in Cuba coming down uh, with some sort of uh, illness mm-hmm. that was supposedly related to some sort of secret microwave transmission right. that was making them sick. Oh, yeah. Uh, the story was the story was weird. Uh, no one seems to know what was going on. Yeah. 
I'm just trying to but, find out where I'm trying to drill back to yeah. see when we told this story. But something was definitely happening to those CIA officials, uh, whether it was nausea or ringing in their ears. But there was something going on, and no one could just figure it out. So what do you do? You blame the Russians. And <laughs> yeah, you know, the Russians, or I think the Cubans were originally were originally accused of it. Oh. Uh, then yes, there we go. I found a Here story back in January 2019 where they came out and said, "No, no, wow, it was crickets, literally crickets." <laughs> originally, it was sophisticated the microwaves. Chirping? Then it was uh, crickets. That it was doing it. Well, another right, story just right. came out in the last week in uh, the ABC in Australia. Russia suspected of Cold War-style microwave attack on CIA agents in Australia. Two agents from the United States right. CIA fear they were attacked with a sophisticated microwave weapon while visiting Australia last year as part of a global campaign mm. by Russia targeting U.S. officials. CIA officials reported sure. hearing ringing in their ears and feeling nauseous and dizzy, symptoms consistent with Havana syndrome, first suffered by American diplomats <clears throat> serving in Cuba. According to a report in America's GQ magazine, and I mean, if the first place mm -hmm. I go to for hard-hitting geopolitical news <laughs> is GQ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck me. Really? That's GQ and for the letters oh and the tits the GQ letters yeah yeah it was titty yeah, titty shots and uh, <laughs> fucking Cold War news hardcore news Jesus yeah. Christ yeah um, sounds right mobile phone data according to GQ magazine Nobel Prize winning uh, an investigative journalist outfit. Uh, mobile phone data revealed agents from Moscow's FSB were in the vicinity of their hotel room at the time the visitors fell uh -huh. ill. While in their hotel Proves rooms it. in Australia, both of the Americans felt it, the strange sound, the pressure in their heads, the ringing in their ears, GQ reported. Now, I have a theory right. on this, Ray. I've, I've, you know, figured out oh, what it is. Um, I don't think okay. it was... Russian microwave attacks. I don't think it was crickets. I think it was Vegemite. I right. think they uh, accidentally <laughs> put too right. much Vegemite on their toast because that will fuck you up. You, you put too much Vegemite on your you toast. Start slow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nausea, yeah. dizziness, <laughs> ringing in your ears. Absolutely. That's yeah, it's the no. Vegemite syndrome. You got to work your way up. It's like pot. You got you to gotta work your way now, up. Now, um, anyway. Yes. Here, here's the thing, the reason I mentioned this story. The evidence that this had something to do with Russia, there were two yeah. Russian agents somewhere nearby at the time. Therefore... <laughs> That's all you need? Yeah. That's all you need? There was nobody else from any other country in the world staying anywhere near in New. these hotels in no, fucking mate. downtown Sydney. A, a, a billion <laughs> hotels in downtown Sydney with a billion people from a billion countries. Uh, but no, it must have been Russians. It was the Why? Russians. Eh, just because yes. there were some Russian agents in the vicinity of their hotel room? Sure there were. I mean, that's the evidence. Uh, but the, the fact is yeah. that the ABC, uh, you know, a respectable 
news organizations still, I think, in this country, didn't call bullshit on this story. They're going, well, it must have been Russians. Fuck off! What? The ABC should have gone, according to GQ magazine, dash... Which should not be taken very fucking seriously on matters of uh, international fucking <laughs> uh, intrigue, anything. diplomacy, dash. Separate tits. Claims right. that it was Russians, right. but I would just like to point out that there's no fucking evidence that it was Russians, <laughs> apart from the fact that there were some FSB Whatsoever. guys somewhere but- in the vicinity. I mean, come on, people. Fuck me. But what about... Peter Jennings of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, he said, if the attacks were proven, Russia was the most likely culprit. I don't know why they would be the most likely culprit, but he's the Australian Strategic Policy Institute person. Shouldn't he know? Did he get a check directly from Washington for saying that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, okay, so the ABC quotes Peter Jennings. Uh, uh, but right, did they? You know, where do they say? Yeah, but why? Why do you think it's Russia? There's nothing in there about why he thinks it's right. Russia. None of his quotes yeah. has anything to do with evidence uh, or how he connects it to no, Russia. There is no. It's just no. Uh, uh, it's probably right. you know. Pro- it's some probably some Russia would do probably Russians. Yeah, Russians probably probably Russia. I guess <laughs> now. He he is, yep. uh, you know, an Australian military government guy, ex-defence, Australian security, you know, right. and we are, Australia is part of the China is bad, Russia is bad, okay, uh, thing with the US right now. Right. Like, we just go along with whatever the US says yeah. about China and Russia, because we're part of your fucking global cabal. We're part of the, yeah. part of the America block. Oh, yeah. Um, we appreciate. So it. you know, we just get yeah. You know, you we we our dicks are so yeah. far up your asses, or vice versa. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but again, like no evidence. Good journalist, a good journalist. No. And yeah, I'm looking at you, Andrew Green, who's got the byline on this story, defense right. correspondent for the uh, uh, ABC. Should have said yeah, but what's the fucking evidence, dipshit? Uh, no, didn't. Yeah. Didn't didn't do that. Or if he did, it didn't yeah. end up Nothing. in the article. So it's well, this kind of bullshit that just really makes me yeah. sick. Yeah. And it becomes the narrative. It becomes, yeah, that's Russia. I mean, you gotta watch him. You can't trust him. I mean, it just it's just another brick in the wall of Russia will always be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that I hope that has given you all something to think about this week. Uh, good luck with your weeks yeah. wherever you may be. Um, yeah. If you Stay are, safe. if you are involved in plotting the kidnapping of uh, anyone in the United States or the overthrow of yeah. the government, please be careful. Uh, Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I say. Don't tell too many people. Because yeah. one of them will go. I'm fucking out. I'm fucking out of this, man. I'm going to go tell the FBI. So just be careful. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <clears throat> and we'll be back uh, probably in a couple of weeks with another bullshit filter. Actually, uh, we decided afterwards, we looked at the calendar and decided that our scheduled date for doing the next one is actually the eve of the presidential election. So we're just going to do a live show. <clears throat> on November 3rd, the evening of November 3rd, US time, morning of November 4th, Australian time. We're going to do it on Zoom. I'll post it on our Facebook page, but we'll do a live show 
we'll just kind of follow the election and see what the fuck happens. Uh, should be a fun night, so I hope some of you will join us for that. Bullshit. 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 Bullshit.